Hi, this is episode 13 of the Viva La Diva podcast. I'm your host, Laura J. Ingalls, and it's time to dare you to unconditionally love yourself. I don't know about all of you, but if I'm being honest, this summer has felt like a wild roller coaster. But here we are, and it's podcast time, and I'm excited about today's topic, which is diet culture. So a few things have come on my radar lately that make it feel really timely, which is why I'm I'm excited to dig in. It's a hefty topic. There's a lot here to discuss. Um, but but it feels so relevant, first of all, because a ton of friends have been texting me lately or just spoken to me directly about the documentary, What the Health? And I'm actually, I'm not going to comment on the film right now because, full disclosure, I haven't seen it yet. I <laughs> I know myself, and I'm sure that I'm going to have something to say once I do see it, but I, I just, I bring it up um, right now because it has certainly got my very wide circle of friends, not just my fitness friends, but like kind of everybody talking about health and asking what I think are some really good questions about the choices that they might want to make when it comes to food and the reasons behind why they might want to make those choices. And I think that that is like a really interesting distinction that people are asking me um, things that have nothing to do with weight, um, like questions that have nothing to do with weight about like different food choices that they might want to make. Um, so, so I love that. I think it's really, really cool. And then secondly, there was this article, um, that I brought up in episode 12 of my podcast that was from the Harvard Public Health magazine, which is magazine put out by the Harvard School of Public Health. And that article was called Obesity, Can We Stop the Epidemic? And it was ripe with fascinating studies and the implications of those studies, which I will talk more about in this podcast in a minute. Um, but that that's on my radar, obviously. And lastly, there was an article published just three days ago in the New York Times called Losing It in the Anti-Dieting Age, which was both really encouraging to read, but at the same time, it was just such a stark reminder to me of how far we have yet to go in the healthy versus skinny paradigm shift. So that, actually that last article is where I'm going to start today's podcast, the New York Times article, which I'm definitely going to throw a link in there to the show notes. So um, if you want to check it out yourself and read it, you can. But uh, the summary of the article is this. It was it was a really about Weight Watchers and and about the fact that Weight Watchers has been losing money since our culture has been shifting away from weight loss diets and embracing words like healthy, fit, clean eating, strong, much more so than weight loss and skinny and things like that, which is awesome news. You guys, this is like an amazing sign. Um, and I, and I'm super pumped about it because years ago when I first started talking about the difference between healthy and skinny, I felt like a lone voice shouting out there into the void. But here in this article is like actual financial evidence that something is shifting. And I think we need to celebrate that. And believe me, I am totally celebrating that. But... Don't get it too excited just yet because everything else in the article falls in line with exactly what I see every single day at work and in conversations with so many 
women. And that is, you know, like it, it makes it very clear that we've really, we've done some good work to sort of start to break down um, our old ways of thinking, but like we're really just at the beginning. There is still a long way to go. So um, this article, it was so cool. But um, what one of the things it's looking at is that in this shifting culture, Weight Watchers has an inherent marketing problem. I mean, they are called Weight Watchers, which everybody associates with weight loss and dieting because that's what they've been about for, I don't know, like the entirety of their existence. And it's a major marketing problem because even if they wanted to, say, shift away from focusing on the scale, it they like this is who they've been as a brand for their entire lifetime, and it's like built into the name of the company. So um, – but they knew that they had a marketing issue, and so to try to solve it, they put their senior VP and global head of consumer insights, a woman named Deb Benevitz – on the case. And so she hit the streets and she interviewed current and former members um, and all sorts of people about weight loss and about the Weight Watchers programs. And she uncovered a very fascinating insight, which I'm I'm actually just going to quote directly from the New York Times article. <clears throat> so it, being dieting, was anti-feminist. It was arcane. In the new millennium, all bodies should be accepted, and any inclination to change a body was proof of lack of acceptance of it. Weight loss was a pursuit that had somehow landed on the wrong side of political correctness. People wanted nothing to do with it, except that many of them did. They wanted to be thinner. They wanted to be not quite so fat. Not that there was anything wrong with being fat. They just wanted to call dieting something else entirely. Interesting quote, right? Um... And I think it's something that a lot of us feel to be true in our insides. Um, and a little bit further down in the article, there was another quote. Um, and here it is. The word wellness came to prominence. People were now fasting and clean eating and cleansing and making lifestyle changes, which by all available evidence is exactly like dieting, which is also kind of true. Um, so these two things right here, body positive, but I still want to be skinny. And the other thing, diet culture disguised as wellness, that thing. Um, I deal with these every day and, um, and I want to kind of point out that the second piece, like that, the fact that these like wellness programs look exactly like diet culture and the and it, that sort of goes hand in hand with the fact that we still want something that that will cause us to lose weight. And it all still gets packaged in this thing that doesn't quite make us feel good about who we are today, um, that still perpetuates this culture of not being good enough and our value being um, linked to the size of our body. And I argue that these things that are being touted as wellness but that are actually diet culture are not the same thing as actual eating for health. And I'm going to – I promise you that I will, by the end of this podcast, talk about what science tells us is improved health. Like I don't even think that there's like a true measure of what perfect health or really good health is. I think um, 
without getting too far down the rabbit hole, that that is a sliding scale for, for all people. Um, but anyway, like I said, like this, so these two things of still wanting to be skinny while at the same time talking the body positive talk and diet culture still being a thing um, with, I mean, and I, like I said, I see this with clients, with friends, even in myself, if I'm being honest, um, because I live in our culture too, and I have had to go through this uphill battle my entire life. Um, so, so I think we should just speak honest about, about it. Um, I think that I think the fact that we can talk a good body positive game but still want to be skinny comes from the fact that we are only just starting to scratch the surface of this culture change. Most adults, and that's why I say like I'm not I'm not exempt from this. Um, you know, we grew up under the old rules where skinny is king, you know, skinny is the goal. And that doesn't just change overnight. Those words being beaten into us that our worth is somehow tied to our waistline, it is really hard to heal from that. It's hard to get over it. And yes, while there's now enough body positive media out there and enough people saying, you know, these good and body positive things to like there's enough out there to start to see a shift in consumer behavior. We are it's it's not every message that's out there by a long shot and we are still getting a lot of mixed messages about health, about food, bodies, diets, looks, um the concept of what sexy is and what sexy isn't. The good news is is that we're actually having more positive conversations about these things, but the bad news is there's still a lot of garbage out there. And so it's it's hard to sort through. Um, and one more thing is evidenced by the second revelation in the article where diet culture is still alive and well and pretending to be wellness. We still haven't figured out as a culture that healthy and skinny are not the same thing. We, we still confuse those two things all the time. And... Um, and and so that I think also contributes to the body positive, but I still want to be skinny thing. It's like sort of reinforces these really weird mixed messages. So um, so I think that for me, that's why I've devoted my work to sorting out the difference between those two things. So let me bring in a fact that is supported by studies cited both in this New York Times article and in the Harvard Public Health article. And that is that it literally does not matter if weight loss is something that you desperately want. Whether you admit it or not, whether you, uh, you know, try to be body positive or not, it, it doesn't matter if weight loss is the thing that you want because study after study has shown that with a handful of exceptions, because we all know that those friends or those pe- that person um, who did lose weight and kept it off, um, we know that human bodies do not do. They just don't do permanent weight loss. We don't do it. Our body fights it. Our body fights it at every turn um, from everything from slowed metabolism to crazy cravings. Every time we try to do something to purposely cause our body to drop weight, it our body rebels against it. And the Harvard study was actually really um, interesting because it, it <laughs> like really starts to highlight a, what that knowledge means for how we might want to create policy going forward for adults who have already gained weight and how that, um, like, 
and the difference between adults who have already gained weight and children who have not yet gained weight. It's like, it's really interesting. I highly recommend you guys read it. Um, but anyway, the bottom line is this diet culture is garbage and it needs to go bye-bye. As a matter of fact, I think that that might be the title of this podcast. <laughs> diet culture is garbage and it needs to go bye-bye. So now since I brought it up, let's pivot to that um, Harvard Public Health article because it supports what I want to say next, which is if healthy and skinny are not the same thing and we can continue to work towards changing our attitudes towards how we love ourselves and look at ourselves and look at each other, what are we supposed to do with health and with food and exercise? Like, do we just eat whatever we want and forget the rest? Well, actually, yes. That's exactly what we do. And that might surprise you coming from a health coach and nutrition expert and self-proclaimed salad eater. Um, But the truth is, yes, you eat whatever you want and you forget the rest because the reality is you can eat whatever you want. You are an autonomous human being and you always have been. And you choose what you want based on the information available to you in combination with a lot of other factors, social pressure, personal um, love. Uh, But the beauty of acknowledging that dieting is a waste of time and that every body is a good body and that there's no one right way to have a body, it changes the very methods by which we decide what we want. So before you think I'm just telling everybody to go ahead and eat cookies and who cares about salads, that's, that's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is, if that's what you want, that's your choice. But I don't think that that's really what people want all the time. It might be what we want sometimes, but I think, I think when we talk about what is it that you, that you want, armed with a little bit of knowledge about science and about how our bodies function and how food interacts with our body, which is constantly, we're constantly learning more about this. Um, it changes what we want, what we want to choose. So this is why I love science and research because pursuing science-based knowledge in nutrition and human performance has taught me a very important lesson. And that is that there are many ways to measure health that go far beyond the scale. Food and exercise play an intimate role in how the entire body functions, not just how weight functions. And that's true no matter what size you may be. It doesn't, that's true no matter where in your weight gain or loss or status quo, like it doesn't matter where in that journey you are. Um, That's just how our bodies work. And this knowledge, it influences what I want when it comes to food and exercise. So I can eat whatever I want, and most of the time, I want things that make me feel good and make me feel energized and clear-headed and well-rested and balanced and strong. And sometimes, I want things that make me feel celebratory or relaxed or indulgent, but I know the long-term effects of those foods on the other functions of my body, and so I don't want those foods all the time. And... I actively choose when and where I want to eat whatever I want, and I do it guilt-free. Like, this way of being is a no-guilt approach to dieting um, and not weight loss dieting. I'm talking about, like, human dieting, of, like, crafting a diet that accomplishes what I want. It It's not no change. It's, I'm not saying, like, 
like you're doomed to your status quo of unhappiness. If you're unhappy, change is important, but it's also important to pursue changes that actually change things. At this point in my journey, I don't want to be spinning my wheels on an impossible goal like weight loss because weight loss is not a real goal. The only thing that comes out of pursuing weight loss as a goal is feeling less than. It's pursuing it will not give me what I really want. What I really want is to feel sexy and lovable and strong and smart and hireable and fashionable and worthy and, you know, so many other things. And in fact, weight loss, in, instead of giving me those things, it will be a constant barrier to all of those things. So, so I don't do it. Instead, I work to rewrite the script in my head that lies to me about all the things that skin, being skinnier will give me. And, um, and instead, I pursue eating foods that allow me to perform at a high level every single day. And even though those things don't necessarily change my waistline, they do um, change me in other ways that feel so empowering and good. Um, and that is so much more effective and important. Now, I know that other women will catch up to me, and it doesn't bother me that Weight Watchers Consumer Insights has discovered that women still want weight loss just by another name. The very fact that we're having this conversation is progress, and I'll take it. And I will keep forging ahead with the next step of actually not wanting weight loss and ending fat phobia. Um, and I hope that other people will come along with me. Um, so far, so good. Like, right, I started talking about this stuff like 15 years ago and it's taken 15 years and we're actually having the conversation now on a wider scale. So I think that uh, everyone will continue to catch up as long as those of us keep, you know, who who are really um, starting to get more comfortable with not wanting weight loss, keep, continue the conversation. Um, and on fat phobia, I really like being fat is not something to be afraid of. It's a boogeyman under the bed, and it is time to flip on the lights. And I have a couple of thoughts about how we can do that together. First, all right, my first thought about how we can turn the lights on and get rid of the boogeyman of fat phobia is I think we all need to start minding our own damn business when it comes to other people's weight. <laughs> like, <laughs> It's none of your business. Instead, I would like to see us start to love and value others as they are right now, today, as a person who's trying their best to be a human and be alive and survive in this world. We need to make a collective effort to end the stigma that fat is bad, ugly, or something that a person should be ashamed of because it literally gets us nowhere. It doesn't solve any problems, zero problems. It just makes people feel bad, which perpetuates bad things. Second, and maybe this second thing is actually should be the first thing, um, but it is to love and value yourself as you are right now. Like to get down and dirty with the you who is today. Like the today you, right now, you are worthy and sexy and valuable and lovable right now. A future or past version of you is not more worthy of respect than the current version of you. A future or past you isn't sexier or more lovable than the current you. And sure, like, yeah, you can craft a healthier or stronger version of yourself, Um you can experience personal growth that changes how you interact with others or how you interact with yourself. But like self-worth is the foundation on which you build those things. It's 
not the other way around. It's You have to start with love and then everything else grows from there. So lastly, I want to address the issue of health because that is the, the thing that people keep coming back to about why weight loss is important and like, oh, I just think we're so confused about it. But part of the reason that we're so confused about it is that it cannot be denied that we have a society-wide health crisis on our hands. And we keep calling it an obesity crisis, but it's actually not just obesity that's been on the rise. And obesity itself is not the thing that's the problem. It's this whole host of serious health risks of which obesity is merely one symptom. People can have these other health risks and not be obese, although we know from data that these these other health risks do are correlated with obesity. Obesity is one symptom of some of these things. And these other health risks, for example, heart disease, diabetes, mental health disorders, and cancer, they are actually really different from obesity itself, like that one symptom, because those other health conditions can be improved through lifestyle changes and can be measured without using a scale. And we also don't always, with the exception of maybe mental health disorders, we don't tie that sense of self-worth to those other conditions, probably because they can be fixed um, and or changed or improved or whatever. Like um, it, the And the research outlined in the Harvard article, it makes the argument for non-weight-related interventions in adults, meaning that it's important that we start measuring health improvements through other metrics besides the scale, since effort towards permanent weight loss are largely ineffective, but efforts towards improving something, say, like cholesterol or blood sugar or um, the gut microbiome, that those things can be improved and we can measure them. Um, We can measure that improvement. And simultaneously, what's really interesting is it argues that weight gain can be prevented in children and young people, and it recommends taking steps such as improving the eating, exercise, sleep, and stress habits in children um, and gives a whole bunch of policy recommendations on how to do that to minimize the risk of developing health problems later. And why I think I was so interested and what really grabbed me is that the behaviors to accomplish both of these goals, like these seemingly separate goals of prevention in children and improvement in other health risk factors in adults, they're actually the same – they're the same action steps. Like it's the same thing. Some of the policy ways of how to achieve the the desired behaviors is different, but like ultimately what we all need to do is – move more, um, get more vegetables, have better quality protein sources, eat more whole grains and whole food carbohydrates, have less processed sugar, less like processed everything, um, more uh, sleep, better stress management habits, a greater sense of self-efficacy and purpose, um, more stability in the home, more stability in our finances, better relationships, um, you know, in, in certain populations, things like social justice make a difference. But at the bottom uh, line is it's not about weight. Like it is not about weight. <laughs> Diet culture does not create any of these conditions that, you know, that give rise to the healthy things on that list. So <laughs> this diet culture has got to go. 
<laughs> I am woman, hear me roar. I, like, I don't know. Like, <laughs> we need some sort of cry uh, or like battle cry or I don't know. But anyway, um, yeah, so that's what I, that's, I think that's enough of the message for today. Diet culture is garbage and it needs to go. It's not helping us achieve any of the things that we want from feeling better about who we are to actually achieving something related to like good health and, and, you know, achieving our life goals and our love goals and our relationship goals and our self goals. So it's, it's got to go. Thank you all so much for tuning in. And I, I know that was a hefty episode and it, for me, it brought up a lot of complicated topics, and in fact, it has inspired me to start a series of sub-episodes on nutrition um, uh, because I think that the more that we can put out some good information and good science the uh, in a way that feels really accessible and not scary and complicated – the easier it will be to figure out what it is that you want for yourself. So be on the lookout for those. And as always, if you loved this episode, please subscribe and rate it on iTunes. Uh, leave a five-star rating, toss in a couple of comments, recommend it to your friends. And don't forget that you can also find me on Twitter and Instagram at LJ Ingalls or hit up my website, laurajingles.com, for more podcast episodes. And until next time, viva la diva. Bye.